You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best nut sound you've ever heard. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Roto World Baseball Show. My name is DJ Short, and with me here once again is Eric Samolski. This is the first episode in our annual position preview series as we get ready for 2024 fantasy <clears throat> baseball drafts. Yes, the time is nearly here. We'll cover every position, including starting pitchers and relievers, as we move through the month of February and spring training games get under underway and. We'll begin today with a look at the first base position. And Eric, it's just so good to be talking about (laughs) baseball prep. I'm ready to go. How about you? Yeah, um, I've been, you know, getting into content and getting super, you know, excited about it. It's one thing where you like you're covering like offseason moves and you're Mm -hmm. it's kind of like it's still nice. But now getting into draft prep, it's just like it's kind of it's a little exhilarating. I'm ready to go. Yeah, so our our online version of the Rotor Baseball Draft Guide uh, will be coming out this week. The magazine should be hitting newsstands in the coming days, too. So really exciting time. Uh, We're going to have our online draft guide updated throughout spring training. So uh, definitely check it out. But we're hoping these podcast episodes can, uh, you know, be a great help to you as you get ready for your drafts and be something hopefully evergreen throughout uh, spring training. So we'll start off at the top here. Kind of just talking about what changed um, this offseason. And there's still some things to be determined. We'll get into that. Um, but for me, I think the big headline at first base this offseason is Bryce Harper. So he he is no longer an outfielder. He didn't play in the outfield at all last year. Uh, the Phillies experimented late in the season with Bryce Harper at first base. And uh, he held his own. You know, he did well. And I think with a little bit more experience... He can only get better, but the Phillies announced during the offseason that Harper will be their full-time first baseman uh, moving forward. And we'll talk a little bit uh, in a little while about where he fits in the in the dynamic and first base and in, in fantasy leagues. But that's pretty big. Yeah, it's definitely big. Um, it adds even more uh, value at the top end of the position. Um, you know, I, I think we're getting, you know, there are some guys who were injured last year who were getting back, who you and I will mention in the later on in this podcast. Um, and so I think that the depth of the position um, is is kind of growing. I know that like the popular narrative going into last year was, oh, you could wait on first baseman. It's really deep. Um, and some of those guys were like Rowdy Telez and Brandon right. Belt and guys who didn't really deliver for us. But I think we can say it again going into this year. Like maybe you don't have to wait, but I think first base is is deep. Um, also, 
you know, the new stolen base rules carried over to first base. Yeah. Um, last year, there were 13 first basemen who stole at least 15 bases. Um, that number yep. had been eight in 2022. Um, so you don't have to say like, oh, you know, Paul Goldschmidt gets me, you know, more stolen bases than the average first baseman. So I need to draft him there. There are more guys. Um, and we also saw a lot more power just in general out of out of first baseman. Um, there's always been the kind of high end power of the guys like Pete Alonzo and, you know, Matt Olson. Um, but we saw more uh, eight first basemen hit over 20 home runs last year. There had only been four um, who were primary first basemen in 2022. So again, just adding more depth across all five categories is something that is uh, important. So well, breaking news on Tuesday, we're recording on uh, January 30th, Tuesday, January 30th. Uh, Justin Turner reportedly headed to the Blue Jays on a one-year $13 million contract. He's first base eligible, Won't probably won't be playing first base on most days for the Blue Jays, of course. Right. Uh Turner should mostly DH, but I'm sure he'll see some time at first base and third base as well. We'll probably talk about Turner in a little bit. So um, that's a notable deal fantasy-wise. Reese Hoskins uh, joined the Brewers, which we like. We'll talk mm-hmm. about that. Jamer Candelario goes to Cincinnati. We like that too. Uh, kind of going deeper on the board, Joey Gallo to the Nationals, Rowdy Tellez to the Pirates. Deeper league relevancy, possibly, but not really someone who's in standard fantasy leagues uh, going to be picking those guys, of course. So, and name, Rudy Bellinger yeah. still no play, yeah. nowhere to go. We don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah maybe back to the Cubs. Yeah, feels like every every week we don't get him signed. It just makes more sense that he goes back there. But who knows? absolutely, yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. I, I thought Reese Hoskins would have been a great fit for the Cubs, but uh, now that he goes to a division rival there with the Brewers, uh, I, I think. Ballinger makes the most sense to return. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see. Um, and if he does return, uh, Matt Mervis, like, probably blocked again. Sure. As of now, you're kind of like, hmm, maybe there could be something there again. But I don't know. Um, it's contingent upon whether Bellinger returns. And right now, yeah. I'm just kind of looking out there. Well, I, it's hard for me to find a fit for Bellinger. Right. And since we're talking about the Cubs also, even though um, he doesn't have first base eligibility right now, it looks like Michael Bush will be their starting first baseman, um, which means he would pick up first base eligibility. So as again, for, er, for draft purposes, we'll talk about him later. And then also uh, in a deeper leagues, Luke Rayleigh went from the Rays to the Mariners right. um, and looks set to be the everyday uh, first baseman for the Mariners. Um, so, you know, additional playing time there or actually um i think they have him set up in the outfield with ty france at first base but again in every in everyday player in everyday player right who showed you know so some flashes with the rays last year the mariners have really transformed their offense uh this winter Jorge polanco we'll talk about that in the second base episode but uh mariners have done some interesting things uh mm-hmm. this offseason you can argue whether it's enough but uh, they've certainly have uh, made a bunch of wholesale changes in sure. that lineup. We'll see what happens with guys like Brandon Belt, CJ Crone, Garrett Cooper, Gio Urshela. All of them mm-hmm. are still out there in free agency. It's amazing how many free agents there are. They're still yeah. out there. Yeah. And all those guys are capable of, in a deeper league, being useful. So uh, we'll see where they wind up. 
Carlos Santana too. Carlos Santana, yeah. So there's there's plenty. There's an amazing amount of players still out there in free agency. We'll get to our top 20 first baseman in a second. Before we do, Big Ten men's basketball on Tuesday. We have a double dip uh, that can only be streamed on Peacock. Illinois and Ohio State tip things off at 6.30 Eastern as each team looks to boost their big dance resume. Then at 9 p.m., another chapter of an in-state rivalry will be written when upset-minded Michigan takes on Michigan State in East Lansing. All this only peacock i've got the peacock hoodie today i did not plan that uh it's just pretty cozy it's just comfortable comfortable it's just cozy you haven't heard about the mccrispy yet well then you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. All right, so let's let's go through. Why don't we do this? We'll go twenty through thirteen with our first base rankings to start things off, and then we'll go top twelve. So I'll I'll, I'll get started here. I have Justin Turner, the newly signed Justin Turner, at number twenty for me, and he bumped uh, Nathaniel Lowe off my my top twenty after signing the Blue Jays. I have Alec Bohm, number 19, um, you know, primarily going to be a third baseman for the Phillies this year. He might not even have first base eligibility in 2025, but for 2024, he'll be first base, first base eligible. Number 18, I have Spencer Steer. Number 17, Christian Encarnacion Strand. 16, Ryan Mountcastle. 15, Spencer Torkelson. 14, Yandy Diaz. 13, Reese Hoskins. Uh, Eric, who, who's your 20 to 13? Uh, yeah, so 20, I have uh, Nate Lowe. 19, I have Justin Turner. Oh, I'm like looking at this right now. I, I skipped 18 on my sheet. That's terrible. Um, there we go. 18, I have Christian Encarnacion Strand. 17, I have Heimer Candelario. 16, I have Ryan Mountcastle. 15, I have Spencer Steer. 14, I have Spencer Torkelson. And 13, I have Vinny Pasquantino. Okay. So I, I, there were a couple of names that, that stood out to me based on recent average draft position. You were kind enough to pass along the last two weeks of average draft position. And, and Spencer Steer is interesting to me because he's going basically near the top 100 picks, mm-hmm. right? After a year where he, you know, all things considered, you look at the five category impact, he was he was a useful player. Um, we're each a little lower on him than the consensus. What 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 pushed you to drop him down a little bit on on your board? I think it's it's interesting because I don't know that it's dropping him down as much as I like some of those other options as as first base options more. Um, like I personally wouldn't be drafting um, 
Spencer's tier to be my first baseman. I understand yeah. he's first base eligible. He's also outfield eligible, third base eligible, depending on like some of the the your league rules. I think he probably fits better in some of those other spots. Um, yeah. So I have him like a little below some guys who I think are more power um, friendly, and that, those are guys I would probably rather put in my first base position. Um, yeah. There are some. You know, I, I think the 15 stolen bases is great. It's way more than he's ever done at any level before. Yeah. So is he more of a 10 stolen base guy, um, you know, than 15? Who knows? Um, right. You know, the Babib ran pretty high. So maybe he's more of a 260 hitter instead of a 270 hitter. Um, I think that his, uh, you know, he doesn't hit the ball overly hard, with just a 6.7% barrel rate. Um, but I think, you know, a 44% pull rate, like that kind of stuff plays in that park. And obviously we know the park, um, will increase uh, a little bit of the batting average value. I think that him moving to the outfield makes him kind of free of this confusing playing time situation that I'm sure we'll talk about with some of the other reds on this list, but I still don't know if it removes him fully because there's still a lot of guys that could right. get some some days here and there with like Jake Fraley is not even in the lineup right now. So maybe he gets time there. Um, you know, we don't we don't fully know. Um, and he hit 16 of his home runs on pulled fly balls last year. Um, he had 37 pulled fly balls. 16 of those went for home runs. You know, average exit velocity on those was 97, which is slightly, which is, it's kind of like right in line, mm-hmm. but he needs to kind of keep that approach in order to get to that power again. Um, and there's right. no reason to think he can't, but it's just like maybe he's a 2010 guy with a 260 batting average. Um, and so I kind of just had him a little bit below some of the more power centric players. So we've seen Spencer Torkelson go pretty high as well after that huge second half that he had how much do we believe in it because it looks like from both of us that there's uh, some skepticism about that second half output from last year it's funny so i don't view i didn't view myself as skeptical um i thought ranking him 14th among all first basemen was was pretty high yeah um and then i see you know where he's currently going in adp um, with an ADP of 123 going rounds ahead, like significantly ahead of some of the guys that I thought yep. he would be like naturally be ranked behind. Right. Um, and so like, I like Spencer Torkelson. I'd be happy having him in, in drafts. Um, the batting average is a concern for me. Yep. You know, he hit 233 last year. Um, even in his really great second half, he hit 238. So, Maybe he's a 240 hitter with with 30 home runs um, and who won't really give you anything in terms of speed in a lineup that's getting better but isn't going to be great. So, you know, that will impact the counting stats a little bit. So, you know, I, I thought I was high on Torkelson. Um, I like that he's super pull fly ball heavy because I think that's going to help him get to that power in that park. But I don't know that there's much more than 30, 31, 32 home runs. Like I wouldn't pencil him in for 35 pushing 40. So I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, a starting first baseman in a 15 team league or 
maybe on the fringe of a starting first baseman in 12 feels pretty good given the the lack of average in stolen bases. Right. I mean, I think that's the key. That I don't expect the batting average to be there. It's not like he made strides in terms of like his contact rate or anything like that last season. The strikeout rate was the same. He doesn't run. And as you said, that matters at first base now. Like even getting a little bit is helpful to keep the pace with um, the other managers in your league. So I could easily see, I mean, it's going to happen because it happens every year. A late round player will put up very similar stats and be a value compared to Torkelson. So I, I think he's respectable and fine. I, I do think that there maybe is a little bit of hype of people saying, well, the second half is a sign of things to come and they want to get on that train before it happens. Right. But even that it's funny. Cause like, even if you think that then it's a sign of increased power, which I think we're kind of giving him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's a sign of like more, again, more stolen bases or more, you know, yeah. or a higher batting average. So right. I, I just think it's, it's the really good second half built on top of the, Oh, he's young and he'll continue to get better. Yeah which we'll talk about later with some of the other guys who um, are ranked higher because they're young and they'll continue to get better. But the, the truth of it is also just that like, it's not always how it works. Yeah. Um, and getting better doesn't necessarily mean like huge jumps in certain categories. Like sometimes it, it just kind of is who a, a hitter is. Yeah. And then Nathaniel Lowe fits into that category, right? So he had the, breakout 2022 last year kind of fell off a little bit and you're asking yourself like what is the ceiling of a nathaniel low mm-hmm. is is he a 270 hitter with 15 to 20 homers and like we're okay with that um right. or is 2022 an outlier uh I, to me i'm i'm more in the camp of 2022 was an outlier but what right. do you think on that i think it's more 2022 was an outlier um i, I don't I don't particularly see more power given his approach and his park. Um, Nathaniel Lowe hit 15 pulled fly balls last year, Mm. all year. Five of those led to home runs. His average exit velocity on his his pulled fly balls is 92.5 miles per hour. Um, So that's not that doesn't speak to really great power. And it's kind of what I was also going to talk about with Torkelson too is like I have this article coming out on pulled fly ball rate, which will be out later in the week and will be in the Roto World uh, online draft guide. So it's something you could definitely check out. But what I learned from that was in looking at all the pulled fly ball rates and seeing how many, the average of uh, home runs per pulled fly ball, guys who hit like around 50% home runs per pulled fly ball all had an average exit velocity of 98 miles per hour or over. Hmm. Torkelson is 97.5. Lowe is 92.5. So both of those guys are at average or well below in terms of the amount of power needed to surpass 50% home runs per fly ball rate. Per, per, Per fly ball. So that means a guy like Torkelson is going to need to really pull a lot of fly balls in order to hit home runs. We know that he did last year and yeah. will likely continue to low would need to pull way more fly balls because his average exit velocity is well below Torkelson and he's not doing that. Um, right. And I, and so I, and I don't, 
like this is the argument again we'll make about another player later, but there's no real reason for Lowe to do that. If he wanted to do that, he would have done it already. Right. Right. He's going to be a guy who's going to, you know, spray line drives, try and hit 270, um, and, you know, make a high level of contact. He has a really good walk rate. He works the zone. He is not, you know, selling out for power. His, his pull rate in general was under 30% last year. So we, we can't just expect players like that to, to change what they do because we want them to. Right. Right. Or that it'll work for them. Right. He's going to be a 270 hitter. He'll run into 15 to 20 home runs. And he's going to put up probably strong runs and RBI totals because he's hitting in the middle of a good lineup. Good context. Good context for sure. And it was a debate for me between Turner and Lowe because Lowe's been close to an Ironman over the past three years. Justin Turner uh, in his uh, upper 30s at this point. Primarily a DH, yes, but there's the health question there. I think as far as like net what you will get in the games that Turner plays, I think Turner will be better. But it wouldn't be su- surprise me if Lowe was the, you know, more, you're going to get the more cumulative stats over the course of the season that you can bank and not have to worry about. Yeah. I think for me, it was that last year in Boston, we saw Turner change his approach in a way that benefited him uh, not just because of the park but also because of his age yeah um in that he had his highest pull rate ever um of 41 percent, and that helped him get to the power more um he hits the ball much harder in the air to the pull side than nate Lowe does so i feel more confident in justin turner being a 20 21, 22 home run hitter. And I think they're both, you know, and, and also Justin Turner being a 270 to 280 hitter, just like low. Um, and I think the blue Jays lineup is a little worse than the Rangers, but not much worse. Yeah. Um, and Turner's contact profile was a little better. So I just felt like they were similar, but I felt a little bit more confident in Turner's average and a little bit more confident in Turner's power. And so yeah. despite the the concerns about playing time um, and it's again, playing time based on health, somebody yeah. pointed out, I think a good point that like he's now playing on turf and he ended last year dealing with a serious foot injury, um, yeah. which could impact that. But also like he could DH and then the Blue Jays could sprinkle him in at second every now and then or at third every now and then or That's at first every now and then. So there's yeah. still a way for him as long as his body holds up to get 500 plus plate appearances. Sure. I, I was sort of into the Mets bringing him back. Um, I know a lot of people are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it sounds like the Mets are going to go with Mark Vientos as their primary DH. We'll see about that. Which is what people wanted all of last year. And now they're upset. That now they're Mark Vientos is <laughs> the most hated man in, in Mets Twitter today. Sorry, Mark. Um, I, I was looking at the recent ADP that you sent along and you know, we each had Spencer Torkelson uh, pretty in our top 15. We each had him in our mm-hmm. top 15. Torkelson's ADP over the past two weeks is 123. If you waited a couple of rounds, there's Christian Encarnacion Strand, his ADP being 158 over the past two weeks. It's very plausible that our Encarnacion Strand could outperform Torkelson this year. I think there are some 
concerns about the approach with Ignacian Strandland, to put it plainly. He hit 270 last year in a, in a pretty good sample, 241 plate appearances, but he struck out 28.6% of the time. Uh, the approach definitely needs work, 69 to 14 strikeout to walk ratio, but the power's great. Uh, quality contact is solid. Great situation as a slugger. I guess some question about how the playing time is going to shake out is the thing that's holding him back a little bit, but I think he's someone to be excited about. Yeah, for me, it's playing time. Um, I mean, I don't think that the profile, like you mentioned, like there are some swing and miss concerns. I don't, I don't think that he is like, he probably can hit for a higher average than um, Torkelson, even with yep. the swing and miss concerns. He has sure. equal, if not better power, just in terms of raw power um, and a much better home ballpark. Yeah. So if I felt confident that he was going to get a lot of playing time, I would have had him much higher on this list, and I and I might come spring. Um, again, we're going back to our pulled fly ball data, but Encarnacion Strand pulled 14 fly balls last year. Nine of them were home runs. They had an average exit velocity of 100.1 miles per hour. That's going to work anywhere, let alone yeah. in Great American Ballpark. My concern is that last week, David Bell said Heimer Candelario was an everyday player. Like We yeah. signed him to be an everyday player. Um, that means first base is basically Heimer Candelario's. Um, and so Encarnacion Strand can DH and he can spell Candelario at first. Maybe the Reds also move Candelario to third some game so that Encarnacion Strand can play first. But the fact that David Bell has said Heimer Candelario is going to be the everyday first base or the, an everyday player. Yeah. Um, and then you see all the other prospects in that infield. Now I'm like, okay, how do that, how does it work? And it doesn't work for all of them. And we just don't yet know who is going to be the one um, that gets kind of left out. And that's also part of the reason why I'm, I have Heimer Candelario where I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I have him as my 17th first baseman, slightly ahead of Encarnacion Strand, where he's going uh, much later in drafts. His ADP is 213 in drafts, and uh, Encarnacion Strand is 158 Sorry, right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's just, I feel like 600 plate appearances is within the cards for Candelario. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure that's the case for Encarnacion Strand. And what's wild to me is that the projections don't seem to be giving Candelario any power boost, despite the fact that he's going to Great American Ballpark. He hit hit 35 uh, pulled fly balls last year. Only 13 of them were for home runs. That's well below the league average on pulled fly balls. But he hit his pulled fly balls 96 miles an hour. Like That should work. Um, And I think that he could push 25 home runs in Great American Ballpark with a 250 to 260 average hitting in the middle of a pretty good lineup. He also stole eight bases last year, so maybe he gives you five, which is, yeah. again, nothing amazing, but it's still, it still helps. Um, and so I, I think Candelario is being underdrafted right now. Oh, without a doubt. I, you know, Spoiler alert here, I have Candelario as my number 12 first baseman, which I was surprised I talked myself into that one, but I love the situation. Like you said, I think his power will play nicely there. And if you, if you toy around with baseball savant, you can, there's that little section where it shows if a player played all their games in certain ballparks, what would right. the home run total be? Candelario, last year, he played in Great American Ballpark. He would have hit 30 home runs. So 
I mean, I'm not expecting him to be a 30 home run hitter. I think I've always viewed him as more of like a doubles hitter. But in this situation, I think he could be 25 home run type of player with a a good batting average, good counting stats. And like you said, he even stole some bases last year. So I'm going to read off my top 12 now, and then you can do the same. So like I said, Candelario, number 12 for me. Number 11, I have Vinny Pasquantino. Number 10, Josh Naylor. Number 9, Christian Walker. Uh, Tristan Cassis, number 8. Number 7, Paul Goldschmidt. Number 6, Cody Bellinger. Number 5, Vlad Jr. Number 4, Pete Alonso. Number 3, Matt Olson. Number 2, Bryce Harper. Number 1, Freddie Freeman. You haven't heard about number crispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm going to read off my top 12, and then I do want to make one comment um, about somebody we skipped in the section before. Just okay. skip discussing. Uh, but my okay. top 12 are, my 12th is Josh Naylor. My 11th is Reese Hoskins. My 10th is Yandy Diaz. Ninth first baseman is Tristan Casas. Eighth is Christian Stewart. Or Stewart, Christian, Christian Walker. Um, I don't know where. That was like a weird Christian Stewart, like a, a Twilight thing. I don't know what I was um, seventh is Cody Bellinger. Sixth is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Fifth is Paul Goldschmidt. Fourth is Pete Alonzo. Third is Bryce Harper. Second is Matt Olson. First is Freddie Freeman. Um, and I did just want to point out mm-hmm. both of us um, had Ryan Mountcastle ranked yeah. 16th. His ADP is currently 263. Um, I posted something about him battling vertigo last year, and a lot of people seemed to have missed that last year. And so I think it's worth pointing out that he battled vertigo and was on the IL um, for over a month and then was eased back into the starting lineup um, and then wound up um, over the last 48 games. He hit two, uh, sorry, 325. With a 906 OPS, seven yeah. home runs, 28 runs, and 27 RBIs in 48 games. Um, and so I, I don't think like the vertigo didn't obviously just start the second they placed him on the IL. He was obviously dealing with it before he went on the IL, then was on the IL for over a month, then was eased back in. But he's 26 years old. He showed he still has the ability to hit for both average and power, even in that park when he came yeah. back. Um, he did not really have platoon splits heading into last year. And so I don't think given again, his battle vertigo that we should just say, Oh, he's going to sit versus righties. They, yeah. they were able to play him and O'Hearn at the same time. I still think they'd probably be able to do that given what they have at first base DH right now. Um, and so I think that people are kind of writing him off based on his full year last year and not understanding what he, the difference in how he produced when he was healthy. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. He even cut down on the strikeouts a little bit last yeah. year, which is nice to see. And 
the supporting cast there in Baltimore should be really good as well. I know the ballpark isn't what it once was, um, but he his power really goes to all fields too. So I'm not I'm not too worried about uh, Milton Castle. Actually, I agree with you. I think he can be a value in in drafts this year. I want to look at the sort of the fringe of our top 12s here. I want to get your your thoughts on Yandy Diaz and just what he is <laughs> because. Right. For a long time, like you look at the guy and you're like, this guy should hit home runs. Like just physically look at him. He is jacked. Um, we know he's had a good approach at the plate for years. Finally added some power last season. The question is, and from a fantasy perspective, the most important question is, is the power sustainable? It seems like you think that it is. I actually don't think that it Interesting. is. Okay. Um, well, I- I don't think that it is in a sense that I don't think he's a 22 homer hitter. Um, I also don't think he's a nine home run guy like he did in 2022. I think he probably settles closer to 15. Um, But last year he hit 12 of his 22 home runs in the first two months of the year. Um, Even when he did that in the first two months, his uh, average launch angle over that stretch was just 9.4 degrees. And he had a really unsustainable 23.5% home run to fly ball rate. From June 1st on, his launch angle fell to 3.9 degrees. Um, He had just a 25% fly ball rate total. Um, And so, and he hit 10 home runs from June 1st on. So I I think that power spike early was not real um, because it came even without a drastic shift in, you know, add of like a a drastic change in his lift or his launch angle. However, I think the batting average is incredibly real. I think the runs and RBIs are going to be good in a a still a strong raise lineup. He's probably going to hit lead off for them again. He scored 95 runs last year. I don't think there's any reason not to expect him to score 85 plus runs and runs are an often overlooked category. Sure. I think him being a 290 hitter or better is also likely. So if I'm going to get a 290 hitter who's going to hit 15 ish home runs and put up probably more runs than any other first baseman, um, or among the league leaders that runs at first base while also getting me 70 to 80 RBIs. I, I think that has value and is being overlooked because he doesn't hit a lot of home runs. Like he will give you the best batting average among first basemen and potentially the best run total among first basemen. Do you think um, Vinny Pasquantino can be a similar type of player you can get later? I think Pasquantino can hit for more power than Diaz this coming year. And the approach is really good. He is coming back from shoulder surgery, so we'll have to see kind of how he looks in the spring and how he progresses throughout camp. But looking at his season last year, Pasquantino, he was hitting 298 with seven home runs mm-hmm. and a 922 OPS through his first 38 games. Things fell off dramatically from there. He had 167 over his last 23 games before, before having the shoulder surgery. Right. To me, that's kind of like, that's a flashing light saying something was happening here. And so I don't want to just look at the batting average for the, for the full season, which was only 61 games, where he hit 247 and you're like, ah, oh, 
you know, he was a bust. I, I don't believe that to be the case. I think he can be a better version of Yandy Diaz, although hitting in a different spot in the lineup. I kind of see them similarly, wondering what you think. I guess I don't I don't see the average upside for Pasquantino at the level that I see it for Yandy Diaz. I think that Pasquantino is a, a you know, 270, 280 guy. I don't think that Diaz was a fluke to hit over 300 no, last year. I don't I don't want to project guys to hit over 300, but I think that like it's a fair bet for Diaz to push 300. Um, I also think obviously the runs are going to be drastically different. Um, and I don't know that even if Pasquantino hits in the middle of the lineup, he will hit for more RBIs on this Royals team than Yandi would hitting first for a much better raise offense. Right. So I buy Pasquantino's power more. They both don't run. So I think Yandi is the better bet for in three of the five categories. Um, and so that's why I have him higher. I, you know, I felt good about putting Pasquantino 13th. Um, again, his ADP is like, it's almost 50 picks after Spencer Torkelson. Yeah. And so I think that's people pushing for the power, right? The power of Torkelson. So let's say Pasquantino hits 20 home runs and that's 10 fewer than Torkelson. I, I think that Pasquantino is still going to hit for a better average. I think they'll probably have around the same amount of runs. So maybe Torkelson is home runs and RBIs. Um, I, don't, I, I think they're they're I think they're pretty equally valued, and it depends on what you're going for from your first base spot based on the rest of your lineup. Do you want the average or do you want yeah. the power? I was surprised in the course of this exercise to see how much I liked Josh Naylor. I, yeah. I think going in, I was not real high on him, uh, and maybe that's like. Maybe that's just the Guardians. Like, there's the Guardian stink of their offense. <laughs> um, but sure. no, I really like what I saw from Naylor last year and, and impacting all. I'm, I'm, I won't say all five categories because the run score total was. He scored 52 runs in 121 games despite a 354 on base percentage, which is crazy. But lowered the strikeout rate down to 13.7%. Batting average appears to be for real. Had a 293x uh, expected batting average last season. Also increased his fly ball rate. So power in that 20 homer range is a reasonable expectation. Full season of at bats gives you a little bit of speed. I think he's pretty underrated uh, in this, especially because I didn't even going into it uh, think that I liked him that much, but I really do. Yeah, I think he's being, I think he's being underrated. I love him as like a, if I don't get my early first base targets, who do I feel good about taking to like, just be my starter. You know, I, I think the batting average is legitimate. I think the 20 homer power, as you mentioned, is for real. Uh, the speed is nice. I don't really understand why Spencer Torkelson is going ahead of him other mm -hmm. than people wanting power. Yep. Right. Like the Guardians offense wasn't really particularly good last year, and Naylor still had 97 RBIs. So mm -hmm. I think he's a pretty good bet for like. 65, 70 runs and 85, 90 RBIs while potentially stealing 10 bases. And then like, if you want to talk about power, well, Josh Naylor's average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives is 97.7 miles per hour. Spencer Torkelson's is 97.6 miles per hour. Hmm. Um, Josh Naylor's 
average exit velocity on just pulled fly balls is 96.9 miles per hour. Uh, Spencer yeah. Torkelson's is 97.1 miles per hour. Yeah. So the difference is that Josh Naylor pulled 28 fly balls last year and Spencer Torkelson pulled 55%. Right. So, and Josh Naylor actually hit more home runs per pulled fly ball than Torkelson did. Yeah. So you're, the only difference is Torkelson has a far more pull heavy approach. Yeah. And now we don't know if you know, Josh Naylor will change that approach in any way, shape, or form. However, in the first half of last year, he pulled the ball 37% of the time. And in the second half of last year, he pulled the ball 44% of the time. So there's some indication that Naylor is becoming or was becoming more pull-focused. And we just talked about why that might be good for his power. So would it surprise me if Naylor actually wound up popping like 25 home runs like no i think that's within his range of outcomes and sure. that to me is far more likely than torkelson hitting like 270 sure yeah no absolutely i i agree with you on that uh sort of the power the power first baseman kind of rounding out our top 10 we had him flip-flop you had christian walker eight eight uh tristan casas nine i had casas eight and walker uh and Walker Knight. So that's kind of interesting. I think Walker is one of the more underrated power hitters in the game. Like that's yeah. indisputable. You can bank on it. Uh, for me, I was a little more excited about the second half that, that Casas had. I, I think that he reached a new level, got comfortable. I, I think he's ready to take off. Yeah. I think uh, the easy answer to this is because I'm a Red Sox fan, I sometimes overcorrect and try not to overrank <laughs> Red Sox. I think if I was yeah. in a draft, a hundred times out of a hundred, I would take Tristan Casas as my first baseman over Christian Walker. Um, yeah, but I didn't feel I, I didn't want to like be a you gotta you know, check just your bias, fan bias. Um, yep. But I think I think Christian Walker is um, heavily underrated. Um, I like what Tristan Casas did, though. I wrote uh, for Roto World, which you guys can all see on the website. I wrote an article about um, uh, players with great plate discipline. Um, and kind of like what that means for their fantasy profile and what we should glean from that. And Tristan Casas was in there because we know he has elite plate discipline um, and had like doesn't chase pitches out of the zone, um, doesn't really take called strikes, all that kind of stuff. What I thought was interesting was that Tristan Casas, while people want him to pull the ball more, but he actually, his second half, he actually pulled the ball less um, and still hit for more power because his just average exit velocity on fly balls overall is 93rd percentile. So yeah. even though he can crush a pulled fly ball, he actually has a lot of exit velocity on all fly balls. And so I think that that all fields approach for him actually gives him a, makes him a better overall hitter. It boosts the batting average. So Maybe he's just a 25 to 30 home run guy, even though you look at like, dude, you're, you're if you pull the, if you pull fly balls, you're hitting the ball 100 miles an hour. Like you could hit 40 in Fenway if you just pulled the ball. But right. then I don't know that the batting average comes with that. So that's one right. of those things where like I'll take 270 with 27, 28, 29, 30 home runs 
And I think that's kind of the hitter we want him to be. I don't think you want him selling out to pull so much. So let's move over to uh, an interesting disparity between you and I. So I had Paul Goldschmidt seventh at first base. You had Cody Bellinger seventh. I had Cody Bellinger sixth. And I kind of struggle with this one too, because Bellinger is such an enigma to me. And even last year when he had a, a resurgence, you know, the contact rate was uh, nice to see an improvement there for sure. 26 home runs, 97 RBIs, 20 steals, 95 runs scored, just, I mean, five category stud. But the secondary or the advanced metrics as far as quality of contact didn't really back up what he did. So Bellinger mm -hmm. was 28th percentile in barrel percentage, 21st percentile in average exit velocity, 10th percentile in hard hit percentage. And Goldschmidt, who fell off from the MVP campaign, his quality of contact is still basically in the elite range of right. hitters. So I, I still put Bellinger higher because I do like the speed. He's younger. Goldschmidt's going in his age 36 season, but you could certainly make a case that Goldschmidt should be higher. Uh, yeah, I, I think of my ranking here as less being down on Bellinger and more being back in on Goldschmidt. Um, yeah. And I have Goldschmidt in my rankings. You say I have Goldschmidt higher than... Wow. Vlad Jr. I, I really do think they're they're close, and I think that I understand people would say, you know, Vlad is younger and on the way up, and he could improve, and Goldschmidt is older and on the way down, and he's yep. you know not likely to get better. And so I I guess when push comes to shove, like I might flip those rankings because I think I'd probably take I I know I would take Vlad over Goldschmidt. Um, they're also going at a massive pick difference, and we'll get to that mm -hmm. in a second. But where I'm where I'm at with Goldschmidt is like, yes, he had 25 home runs last year, and his uh, he had a 268 average, um, and he had his lowest pull rate since 2015. So some people are connecting that to bat speed, but Goldschmidt historically had been a guy who used the whole field. Um, his his max exit velocity was basically the same as 2022, just slightly worse. And have his average exit velocity on pulled fly balls was 100.5 miles per hour, which mm. is actually harder than Matt Olson and only slightly behind Jordan Alvarez. So when Goldschmidt pulls the ball, he's still hitting it at kind of like peak 30 homer potential. He yeah. still has plus plate discipline and uh, solid swing strike rates. He isn't really swinging and missing more. So maybe he's not a 300 hitter anymore, but maybe he's a 280 hitter. Yeah. Um, and I think the 25 home runs, he bumps that up to like 28, 30. Um, and I still think he's running. So he's a 10 stolen base guy to me. So yeah. like 280, 28, 10 is really not, it's, it's better than what you got from Vlad Jr. last year. Sure. Um, and so I understand people are saying that's a down year for Vlad. That That's fine. I, like I said, I would probably take Vlad over Goldschmidt. But what I'm saying is there's not that level of a gap. And I also feel that way about Bellinger. Is like Bellinger, his average exit velocity on pulled fly balls is 93.9 miles per hour. That is the same as Donovan Solano, Taylor Walls, Richie Palacios. Mm. Um, that's all first not, round picks. Yeah, that's not great. Um, <laughs> if you want to include line drives, 
His average exit velocity on pulled fly balls and line drives is 94.5 miles an hour, which is the same as Tyler Freeman, Oslevi's Basabe, um, Miguel Andujar, and, you know, Hunter Renfro. Uh, so, like, aging power hitter. But yeah. what I mean by that is, like, I I think he... All, I think he earned... I don't know that he earned all of those 26 home runs. For sure. um, I think maybe he's a low 20s guy. Maybe he goes to 22, 23. Um, and I think, as you mentioned, the batting average probably comes down a little bit. So you're looking then at Bellinger as like a 22 homer hitter with a 260 batting average who will steal more bases than Goldschmidt. But until we know that lineup context, like... I don't know if I can pencil him in for, you know, 95, 95 runs and RBIs like he got last year. And also, like, shouldn't the Cardinals be a better team than they were last year? Like, theoretically, shouldn't they? I mean, they still have talent. Yeah. Um, and even in a down year, Goldschmidt had 90 runs and 80 RBIs. So that's not really far off of what Bellinger was doing. Um, so... You were alluding to the difference in average draft position. So over the past two weeks, Paul Goldschmidt's ADP is 75. Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s is 31. And and we're not used to seeing Vlad being this low on the board anyway. And there's still a huge difference here. Um, and let, we should talk about the state of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So last year he had 264, which is kind of striking. You know, we're, we're thinking about him being this, you know, what he did in 2021. He hit 311. But otherwise, he's been kind of underwhelming in terms of batting average. At 272 as a rookie, 262 in 2020, 274 in 2022, and then last year, 264. Like, who is the real Vlad Jr.? Because the quality of contact tells you batting average should be higher. It's not like he mm -hmm. strikes out at one. So, like, what is going on here? Yeah, I mean, I think for so many reasons, it appears clear to me that 2021 is an outlier year. In addition to the stats being so drastically different than anything he's ever done in the minors or the majors, also because they played in Dunedin and Buffalo. Um, sure. Dunedin is a hitter-friendly park. They moved to Buffalo in the summer when that becomes a much more hitter-friendly park because if you know anything about weather in Buffalo, um, you know, March and April are not particularly balmy. But, you know, then when you get to kind of like June, July, August, um, the ball actually does carry out of that park better. Um, and so he hit in more hitter-friendly environments and had unsustainable, you know, homer to fly ball rates. I think... This is who I was alluding to earlier when I kept saying, oh, well, people say, well, he's younger and he can he can change things. Yeah. And it's like, sure, he can. He has never posted a fly ball rate in the majors over 36%. Yeah. He has never posted a ground ball rate in the majors lower than 45%. That's in five seasons. Yeah. Why, why do we think all of a sudden after five years he's going to drastically change who he is as a hitter. He right. has never had an average launch angle over 10 and a half degrees. So, but he still barrels the ball. He hits the ball hard. He should hit better than 264. I think that he's a yeah. 280 Me too. hitter. Yeah. Um, and I think he's a 280 hitter with who can hit to, he can get to 30 home runs with his current approach. So, why would you want a guy who's a 280 hitter 
doesn't doesn't really strike out, makes good contact to change his approach and swing type so that he could potentially hit for more home runs. If he adds more lift, you see a lot of hitters who add more lift than add more swing and miss to their game, right? right? Joey Votto being like the prime case and a lot of a lot of others have followed suit. So if he becomes a 35 to 40 home run hitter, then is that going to be with a 260 average? Does that strikeout rate then kind of bump up to like 20%? Why, why would I want him to do that? Right. So I just think we're projecting changes to a guy just because he's young when I don't necessarily know that that makes sense based on the player and the, the type of player that he is. Uh, do I think he could hit more than 26 home runs? For sure. Hits the ball very hard. Um, if he pulls the ball slightly more, maybe you know he gets a 30 more confidently. I think putting him down for 30 home runs and a 280 average with five stolen bases, uh, five, six, seven stolen bases makes a lot of sense to me. That's yeah. what I said. I think Paul Goldschmidt will do. Right. So yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, I mean, what the, the plus side is that the ADP is lower than we're used to. So it becomes more justifiable to take a chance. And I think the floor is relatively safe. For I, sure. I had it. Well, fortunately, the clock's ticking. So we're going to have to scoot out of here soon. But I, I did want to compare Matt Olson and, and Pete Alonso real quick. Of course, Matt Olson had this amazing season last year at 54 home runs. I can't. I I was all in on Matt Olson last year just based on the elite quality of contact. I thought he was going to have a bounce back. He did in a, in a big way. I don't really buy him as a 283 hitter though, given that the you know the strikeout rates settle in the mid mid 20s. Hits you know hits a lot of fly balls. I'm just nitpicking here. He's elite for sure. But then you contrast with Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso at 217 last year had a 205 batting average on balls in play. Right. He's 279 in 2022, 274 in 2021. The strikeout rate was up last year to be sure. Also dealt with a hand injury uh, in the middle of the season, which I think impacted uh, some of the production that we saw from him. You could wait around later and get Pete Alonso. It's very possible that they end up having similar seasons mm -hmm. this coming year. I, I think they're almost, to me, when I'm just looking at the pure math and what's likely to happen, I think they're almost interchangeable. Right. And so this is like Pete Alonso's going 26 and Vlad Jr. is going 31. Mm -hmm. I'm taking Pete Alonso every single day without yep. question. Um, right. I do prefer Matt Olson a little bit in the sense yeah. that I, I believe we have seen Matt Olson have stretches where the contact rate really improves. Um, oh, for sure. He did it. Um, I believe it was the end of 2021, like the second half of that year. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I know people are like, well, 283, you know, that's never going to happen again. And maybe it doesn't, but like uh, 270 can. Yeah. And sure, yeah. 55, 54 home runs is aggressive. But like to your point about how unlucky Alonzo got, I also like in my pulled fly ball article found out that Pete Alonso pulled 46 fly balls. Only 18 went for home runs. That's that means 39% of his pulled fly balls went for home runs. The league average was 40%. Hmm. So Pete Alonso, who hits the ball 100 miles an hour when he pulls it, had below league average home runs on pulled fly balls. That, that's not, that it will not happen next year. Um, right. it, it was horribly unlucky. 
if I feel like I need a first baseman at the end of, you know, the third round in 12 in 15 team leagues, I would take Alonzo over, over Vlad jr. Um, and just in the talking of, in the talking about Olsen, I went back and forth between Olsen and, and Bryce Harper. I know you had Harper higher. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, I probably move Bryce Harper a little bit higher than Olsen because of the stolen base component as well. And I sure. think the power will continue to come back. Um, so that's like one little adjustment that I'm making on the fly in my rankings. Yeah, I mean, you have to just, uh, if you look at the, you know, there was an initial struggle for Harper after coming back from Tommy John way earlier than anyone expected, but 18 home runs over his final 68 regular season games, five through 13 postseason games. I, I think he's, to me, I think Bryce Harper should be the favorite for the MVP going into this season. I know Acuna was amazing, but I, I if you want to do an early futures play, Harper's the guy for me this coming season. And uh, we're not going to have a ton of time to talk about Freddie Freeman, but I, I love to see him get his flowers. You know, his yeah. ADP is in the top 10. It should be. He's just like That's the great. guy you can set your watch to and who doesn't get a, enough appreciation. But, man, I love Freddie Freeman. He's great. Nothing wrong with him. You have a you have a pick in the back part of the first round. Take him. Absolutely. So we love Freddie Freeman. I have nothing negative to say. But, again, we didn't get to talk about him as much as we would have liked because we're running out of time. But I promise, Freddie, we – we love you, man. And if I'm if I'm late in the first round, I I am absolutely uh, going for it. Just a couple of young players I wanted to mention here to keep an eye on: Kyle Manzardo with the Guardians. Mm-hmm. If he gets a shot here, came over in the trade um, with Aaron Savali with the Rays last year. Interested to see what he can do. Uh, kind of fell off a little bit in the first half last season in the minors, had an injury, but I think he's someone who could pop. Um, and be on the opening day roster. Nolan Shanuel with the Angels as well. I don't think there's a lot of power there, but really impressive approach at the plate. I think in a deeper league, he makes some sense as well. Um, but unfortunately, we got to wrap things up now. We'll, we'll have a lot more to come in the weeks ahead. We'll, we'll preview second base next time. Before we go, remember, you can stream back-to-back Big Ten basketball games on Wednesday night. Indiana starts the party at 6.30 Eastern when the Lady Hoosiers take on Maryland and College Park. Then in the nightcap, Caitlin Clark and Iowa hit the road for a date with Northwestern at 8 p.m. Watch both conference showdowns exclusively on Peacock. Remember, you can find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to amazon.com slash NBC Sports. Follow us on Twitter or X if you don't already. Eric is at SamskyNYC. I'm at DJ Short. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.